special music. I like those amens. I've missed those. I like those amens. Uh, Job chapter 1, stand with me if you will. We're going to read uh, more verses than typical, uh, but I want you to uh, follow along as we read somewhat of a well-known story, but I want you to uh, see the verses and rehearse them in preparation uh, for the message tonight on the real invisible uh, enemy. Job chapter 1 and verse number 1, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright. The word perfect does not mean sinless, but it meant that he was mature in his person and in his faith. He was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed or hated evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses in a very great household so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Notice this phrase, Thus did Job continually... It was a habit, it was a faithful thing that he did. And now verse number 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down, in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in all the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou, hast not thou made an hedge about him? and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy faith, face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless the reading of your word. And now, Lord, I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. There are some times that sermons apply directly to a particular group of people in church. 
Sometimes, Lord, that group is smaller than at other times. But this message is not for any particular group, but is for all of us. The pastor, the pastor's family, the staff, deacons, every child, every teenager. I pray that we would listen intently with the desire not to know, but to be obedient in our Christian life as a result of this message tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. For some time we have been hearing President Trump talk about being at war with an invisible enemy. He emphasizes the word war. He talks about the fact that there is an all-out war going on. And he emphasizes the fact that it is a most difficult battle because we are fighting an enemy that is unseen. Of course, he is talking about the virus that we hear about hour after hour, day after day. It is referred to as the invisible enemy because they cannot say for sure where it came from. It sometimes is silent as it invades an individual's body. Sometimes it is deadly. It is difficult to track. It is difficult to learn about. Thus it is called an invisible enemy. And yet there is another war going on tonight with an invisible enemy, and that is the prince and power of the air, Satan himself. Would to God that God's people had as much concern for this invisible enemy as they do the one that the president is talking about. In our text, the veil is pulled back a little. And we're allowed to catch a glimpse of the conversation and the source of that spiritual warfare that occurs in Job's life. I want to look at some things in these verses tonight. And I want us to see some secrets to success in spiritual warfare. I want us to see tonight some things that Job did to help him defeat the invisible enemy, that of Satan, the prince and power of the air. I want to begin by talking about the person of Job. I want to say tonight that Job was a good man. In fact, there was none better than Job. You can't get a better score than perfect. That's what God said about him, and he said it twice. He said it in the first few verses, and then when he was talking about Job to Satan, he said that he is a perfect and upright man. He does what he's supposed to do, and he hates the things that he is not supposed to do. And so Job is a spiritual man. Job is also a man of personal character. He's not just a spiritual man in a spiritual setting, but he's a man of character in a practical setting. Job was a man of purity. Job was a man of integrity. Job was a man that was a man of godliness. We also note from this passage of Scripture that Job was a wealthy man. 
And of all the men in the east, Job, the Bible says, was the greatest. And the Bible gives us a list of some of the things that Job owned in his life. He had thousands of different types of animals. Not only is he blessed in wealth by the things that he owns, he is a blessed man in that he has ten children and they have families and they're very close-knit family because they share times of fellowship together as we understand in this passage of Scripture. Job's spiritual commitment was not just for his own life, but Job cared about his family. The Bible tells us that Job would make sacrifice for his children. He would go to God in prayer. He would ask God for forgiveness of anything, not only that he had done in his life, but that his children may have done in their life. The Bible said that he did that continually. He didn't do it in a time that he was just afraid or when something bad had happened. That was Job's character. That was Job's behavior. That's what kind of person Job was in making sacrifice and prayer on behalf of his children. Job is not a part-time believer. He lived his life the same way every day. Would the God wed Christians today uh, that uh, cared enough about walking with God on Monday as they did on Sunday? Would to God we had folks that understood that Friday night belongs to God as much as Sunday night does? Would to God we had people that had enough character in person in their person and spirituality in their relationship with God that they were faithful as Job was faithful. He lived like this every day. Now, many people have the idea uh, when it comes to suffering that people suffer for wrongdoing. As you know the story, that's what Job's friends thought. In fact, that's what they voiced, and they voiced it with confidence, saying, Job, we know what your problem is. You've been living in private sin, and so God is punishing you publicly. We all know that was not the case and certainly God knew what kind of person Job was as he stated twice in the same chapter that Job was a perfect and an upright man. The fact is sometimes we do suffer because of our sins or foolish decisions but sometimes God will allow suffering in our life to test our faith or to grow us in our Christian life. Are you with me tonight? Sometimes he allows suffering to come to sanctify or to cleanse us, to set us apart from the world and make us closer in our determination, in our fellowship to walk with God. Sometimes it is an attack of Satan on us to hurt God. Nevertheless, no one is immune from suffering. Whether they are a good person or a bad person, as we qualify people, Job being a perfect and upright man is the man that we're talking about tonight that suffered in a way that few, if any, have ever suffered in their life. Now the second part of the message I want you to see tonight is that you and I see something Job didn't know about. 
Job didn't read this story before it happened. You see, Job is just living his life on earth. Events are taking place in Job's life that are normal. He's worshiping God. He's serving God. No doubt Job was a very busy man with all that he had to oversee, all that he had to care for. And many tell us that Job served as a judge of that day, a man that would judge as far as right and wrong, making judgment between two people, perhaps someone that had been mistreated. And Job, I believe, was a very busy man. And Job is going through life just in a normal pattern and he did not know that there was a conversation going on in heaven and he would soon be a part of spiritual warfare. Now, this is something that perhaps you haven't thought of before. Job didn't know anything about the spiritual warfare. In fact, Job doesn't know why he goes through the suffering that he goes through. But God, in the writing of the Scripture, allows us to see a conversation that's going on in heaven. A heavenly assembly takes place. The Bible tells us that the sons of God appear before God. I believe they're there to give an account of their service to God. I don't understand all that is taking place or how it took place other than just reading of the Scripture and imagining that meeting that was there. But we see among the sons of God, we see among them Satan himself shows up. The devil shows up in the meeting between God and the sons of the Lord, as he says here in verse number 6. When the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Satan, the being within whom sin originated, appears before the Lord. Satan, the most ungodly, wicked being in the universe, stands before God himself. Think about now who we are dealing with. I'll share with you some of the Bible names that are given to describe the devil. Abaddon, accuser of the brethren, adversary, angel of light, angel of the bottomless pit, Antichrist, Apollyon, Beelzebub, Belial, the devil, the dragon, the enemy, the evil spirit, the father of all liars, the god of this world, the great dragon, Lucifer, murderer, old serpent, Power of darkness, power of death, prince of the world, prince of the power of the air, a roaring lion, the ruler of darkness, the tempter, the thief, the wicked one. His names declare his character. That sounds worse than any virus I've ever heard of. Sounds worse than any sickness. Why in the world we would ever want to have any kind of fellowship that would have anything to do with the one who desires 
to destroy the crowning of God's creation, God's children. This is the wicked one that presents himself before the God of heaven. God recognizes Satan. Not only does he make an appearance here before God, God calls on him to give an account of his activities. Satan, what have you been doing? He said, I've been walking up and down on the earth. I've been watching people. See, he's the accuser. He's the deceiver. He didn't go into the Garden of Eden and quit. The Garden of Eden was the beginning. He's still working to deceive. He's still working to lie. He's still working to destroy. He's still working to wreck and to ruin every life. It's interesting to me that when Satan gives an account of what he had been doing, Satan is asked, Have you considered my servant Job? Oh my. There is both a positive and there is a negative. There is a statement that is good and yet there is one of fear. God sees Job, no doubt as he saw Noah in a day of wickedness, but he saw among that wickedness a man of righteousness. And the Bible said, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In this day, God says of Job, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him. He is one that is perfect and upright and he sheweth evil. And yet the fear is that Satan's attention and Satan's attack comes toward Job. Now, wait a minute. Job doesn't know what you and I know. Job just knows he goes to work every day. Job just knows he walks with God every day. Job just knows he prays not only for himself, he prays for his children, he prays for the families. Not only does he give sacrifice for himself, but he gives sacrifice on behalf of his children. Things are going well. He's being blessed. His cattle, his animals of all kinds, they're multiplying and the blessings of God are coming in Job's life. But little does he know, an attack of Satan is about to come to Job. In verses 7 through 19, he faces the most unbelievable crisis that anyone could face. As much as he can, Satan unleashes all of hell in Job's life. In one incredible, heartbreaking, unbelievable day, Job saw nearly everything that he had loved and everything that he had lived for, he had seen it taken away in verses 14 through 17. Verse number 13, 18 and 19 tells us of the heart-wrenching sorrow, the groaning of his soul, the tears of his eyes, the breaking of his heart. In one day, he loses all that he has. I must point out something very important in this story, in this battle of the unseen enemy. I must point out, in all of this, God is in control. I want to point out that Satan cannot do anything that he does not get permission from God to do. 
You see it in chapter 1. You see it in chapter 2. And I believe that when God allows this type of suffering that would cause a testing of our faith and a strengthening of our faith, uh, that's what it's meant to be. God knows that the grace is there uh, that's available to bear the burden and faith is there to overcome the temptation and win in victory. God is listening to Satan attack the servant of the Lord. Now you may read this and think Satan is in control. In fact, you may look at your life sometimes and think that the, uh, that the uh, devil, that Satan is in control. I want to tell you tonight, he is not in control. It was God that said in chapter 1. It was God that said in chapter 2 and verse number 3, Have you considered my servant Job? And after the dialogue is over, Satan unleashes the fury of hell upon Job. And I want you to know that through every part of this God exercised sovereign control over every event. Every time it was God that set the limit on how far Satan could go. And can I tell you something? Don't you let Satan deceive you. He is on a chain and God's in control of that. And he'll let him go as long as he wants to or bring him as short as he wants to. And one day he's going to throw him in the bottomless pit and he's going to slam the door shut. And I look forward to the day when the old tempter is banished. I look forward to the day, dear friend, when the old deceiver is cast into the hell that's prepared for him. And I can enjoy without temptation the wonderful joys of heaven and fellowship with my God. God is in control. If you will, take your Bibles and go to the familiar passage in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 28. You know the verse Romans eight twenty-eight. You know what it says. But I want to read first of all verse number 29. For the Bible says in Romans 8 and verse number 29, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. He saved me not to leave me like I was, but to make me more like him. It is trial. It is testing. It is difficulty that shapes me and makes me and molds me. That's why the Bible says in Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose, for whom He did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. In the aftermath of devastation and destruction, Here's what Job did. And I want to show you perhaps the single greatest key to overcoming spiritual warfare in our lives. Verse number 20, please, of Job chapter 1. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head. These are signs of mourning. 
These are signs of complete surrender. And he fell down upon the ground and worshipped. How convicting to read the word worshipped. Here's what he said. Naked came I out of my mother's womb. And naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave. The Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Job is not jumping up and down, clapping and rejoicing. He's not shouting in ignorance, laughing, saying there's nothing to it. Job has rent his mantle. He shaved his head. He fell down upon the ground. That was the pain. That was the difficulty that put him there. But in his weeping, in his sorrow, in his agony, he said, I came into this world naked and with nothing. And I'll leave this world the same way. The Lord gave me what I enjoyed. The Lord took it away. But he was saying, I didn't come to live for those things. I was made for him. And I declare, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's upper level Christianity. His heart is broken and yet in his tears he says, God, you're still a good God. When Job speaks, he does not attack the Lord. When Job speaks, he offers praise to the Lord for the blessings he has enjoyed. When others say, and his wife said, Job cursed God and died, many would say that Job's wife was being negative toward God, and that may be true. I believe she was simply saying it would be better to die than it would be to live in your condition. I think it would be better for you and for me. I want to believe that's true. I'm not sure. I don't know what the attitude or the motive of her saying that is. But he told her, he said, you speak as a foolish woman. You speak as somebody that doesn't know where our blessings come from. You act like you have no idea. It was God that gave us those children that we enjoyed for those years. It was God that put the food on our table that we enjoyed and we enjoyed beyond anybody, anyone else. You act like you don't know that it was God. I want to tell you, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job understands that everything he ever had came to him from the hand of God. If I preach this message tonight from the New Testament, I would take my text in Ephesians chapter 6, and I would go through the armor of God, and yes, that is correct, and yes, it is right. The armor is not to put on after the battle is over, 
The armor is to put on before we go into battle. Our walk with God begins in the morning and it lasts through the day. I'm not supposed to visit God a few minutes and then leave Him on the table. I'm to walk with God in the morning and walk with Him through the day. And I believe that's what Job had done. And I believe if we examined his life, we would see from head to toe the pieces of armor that are listed in Ephesians chapter 6. But in the battle, Job has lost all that he had And in this spiritual warfare and God allowing Satan to test the faith of Job, perhaps the greatest secret in overcoming spiritual warfare is to realize God is the creator of all things and God made all things for him. And no matter what I have or no matter what I've lost, I still have him. And I belong to him. He belongs to me. Blessed be the name of God. Of the Lord. This story is recorded not just for us to know about another man, but it's recorded for us to apply in our life. Where does it begin? It doesn't begin the day you lose ten children and that you lose all you have. I believe Job had been through trials before, and every time Job said, even in the small things, God was the one that gave us that to begin with. I don't want my praise and my love and my adoration to transfer from the God that gave it to me to the things that He gave to me. I believe Job had lived this in his life. And if there comes a day in our life that we as Job lose all that we have, we'll not praise God in that day unless today in the small disappointments that we have, we can't lift our voice and say, I'm still going to praise you because you're worthy of my praise. I believe it was the key to victory in his life. Now tonight, you and I are in an invisible war. It's being raged around us. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, Satan hath desired to have thee. He's asked for you. It seems as if it's the same story as when God and Satan talked about Job and Jesus warned Peter and he said, Satan hath desired to have thee that he may sift thee as wheat. He warned Peter ahead of time and told him if he warned Peter and he put it in that book for me to read, that day will come to me, that day will come to you. Those days have come and those days will come again. How do we strengthen ourselves for that day that Job faced in the magnitude of the loss? I'll tell you how we face it. When things don't go our way and the little things, we still say, well, praise the Lord anyway. He's still a good God anyway. And if that can become our behavior, then certainly there's nothing Satan can do to take our joy away. I must mention in closing that God gave Job back everything he had that he'd lost and he doubled it. He multiplied it. You say he didn't give his ten children back. Job never lost his ten children. They were in heaven and they're there together today. 
Folks, I say to you tonight, in the darkness of the night and the difficulty of the battle, He's a good God. Let's learn to praise Him in every day, the smallest conflict, so that we can be prepared for the greater. I ask you to stand where you are. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. As I said this morning, I'm not going to ask you to come to the altar. But I would ask you in just a moment, when they begin to play the invitation song, if God has spoken to your heart, that you just get on your knees right there where you are at your seat. And you would say, God, help me to see you as the biggest blessing I have. Just to be a child of the King is worth praising you until you come or I come to glory. Heavenly Father, forgive us where we failed you. But we haven't failed you tomorrow. And we've heard a truth tonight. Lord, how strong and difficult the truth is. And yet, it's right, it's good. Help us to praise you even in the tough day. Bless our invitation, our time of prayer, our time of commitment, our time of change in your name. Amen.